listeners to Season 3, Episode 23, the Season 3 finale of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And this week we're wrapping up our Happy Horror Days event by watching a Patreon-voted film, Stephen King's Misery from 1990. We also wanted to let you know that our audience feedback form needs your submission. Visit drinkingandscreaming.com slash survey to fill out a short survey to help keep drinking and screaming awesome. So this week, we watched Misery from 1990, but first we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be some enjoyable warm wine on a cold winter's eve. So I made this one. You did? And it's called Misery's Mulled Wine. Whoa, is it the pig or the character? Whoa, or the movie. Whoa, so many options. So there's a little bit of a backstory to this. Um, We had Christmas with my parents, just the four of us, and we all like chipped in making things that we like. And I am (laughs) attempted to make mulled wine. You did? I'd never actually- You succeeded at making something. It was wine with- (laughs) That was mauled, uh, mauled by my ingredients and then uh, torn asunder. Um, yeah, so I, I, I fucked up a bit, or I'm sorry, I cock a up yep. a little bit with this one. But, I like that. <laughs> but uh, we've got the real way for you to make it if uh, you at home would like to make it. And there was something that was like so sour about it. There was something that was oversteeped <laughs> and much too much car- cardamom. <laughs> so as a special treat for the season finale, this is all of the ingredients and the way to make it, even if you're not a patron. But go to patreon.com slash drink and scream and you can find all the other ingredients that we have made this season. For every other cocktail. Yeah. So you want uh, two cups red wine, an orange slice, this is a smaller one. I know people usually make like a bucket of mulled wine. So <laughs> two cups red wine, full orange, all sliced up, uh, two long cinnamon sticks, two teaspoons of ground cloves, one tablespoon cardamom, and uh, two tablespoons of sugar, and a liquor that you like. I chose bourbon, uh, so use about two ounces of bourbon. Some you, pe- some people use brandy, uh, rum, whatever you like to make it a little bit more liquory, or you can keep it wine if you want. Uh, so you're gonna want to just throw all that shit into a bucket. Uh, <laughs> put the plastic bucket on your stove. Yeah, put the plastic bucket on your stove. <laughs> Say, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what what is it? Sauce saucepan. Yeah. Yeah. Put it all in a saucepan. Simmer it for a while, and once it's simmering, cover it for 15 minutes to three hours. Wow. Then uh, take it off and strain it. Now, that's the key. You want to get all that stuff out of it because it will continue to steep the longer it's in there. And then give it a taste. See if it needs more sugar or anything. And then serve it warm. And if you want to be fancy, you can get another like slice of orange and put it in the cup. Yeah. And another chunk of uh, cinnamon stick as well. Nom, 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 Just what I did, which didn't help. It didn't save it. No, no. But it's okay. I still love you, and I'm excited to try Misery's mold wine instead of Kelly's mold wine. Yeah, I mean, if you make <laughs> Kelly's mold wine, you could torture a writer with it and force them to continue the story that they have been writing for years. Very true. So, I mean, the book is called Misery. I think that he knew what he was getting into. Yes, exactly. So this week we watched Misery, which premiered on November 30th, 1990. It's directed by Rob Rayner and based on the novel of the same name by Stephen King. Screenplay was written by William Goldman. 
It stars Kathy Bates as former nurse and number one fan, Annie Wilkes. James Cann as famous novelist, Paul Sheldon. Richard Farnsworth as sheriff and husband, Buster. And Frances Sternhagen as deputy and wife, Virginia. The synopsis was created by J. Welch5742 on IMDb. And I also wanted to remind everyone as we're going into our break that if you want to be featured on the show, you can write your synopsis for a movie that we're about to do and email it to drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. We always announce at the end of the episode what we'll be doing next. So, uh, yeah, get those in and we'll gladly use them instead of random people we don't know on IMDb. Except for our best pal from IMDb. Claudio Varhalo. Yeah. So Jay Welch writes, after a serious car crash, novelist Paul Sheldon is rescued by former nurse Annie Wilkes, who claims to be his biggest fan. Annie brings him to her remote cabin to recover, where her obsession takes a dark turn when she discovers Sheldon is killing off her favorite character from his novels. As Sheldon devises plans for escape, Annie grows increasingly controlling, even violent, as she forces the author to shape his writing to suit her twisted fantasies. So Paul knows he has to escape and begins collecting the pain medication and hiding them away. He also manages to use a forgotten bobby pin as a key to pick the lock on the bedroom door so that he can now explore the house whenever Annie is away. The sheriff begins to look for Paul as well and starts to suspect Annie after about three weeks of investigating. At this point, Paul knows that Annie has killed many prior patients in her past, and she plans to do the same to him. His first escape plan fails when Annie accidentally spills the wine glass that Paul spiked with his collection of pain meds while they had a romantic dinner together. Later, Annie discovers Paul has been leaving his room, so she hobbles his legs by breaking his ankles with a sledgehammer. That's like the classic misery scene. If you know anything about this movie, that's what you know. Before the sheriff comes to investigate, Annie is forced to kill the sheriff forced, whatever. She's a murderer. Uh, (laughs) When he discovers Paul in the basement, which leads to Paul fighting for his life and managing to overcome Annie with his typewriter and a metal pig figurine. A year and a half later, Paul still sees glimpses of Annie every now and then, even though she's dead, never truly free from the horror he faced in her home. Thank you. Thank you. You should uh, do me a favor and play that trailer audio. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too. And as soon as the roads open, I'll take you to a hospital. I'm your number one fan. I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me? Don't even think about anybody coming for you because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die... You die. What do you think about this? I mean, following the trend of a lot of trailers this season, it had a lot of the important scenes in it. Yeah. But I don't know. A lot of the dread that comes from the movie is like the conversations that they have and like the claustrophobic nature of a lot of the scenes. So that's what I was going to say. Like, it doesn't really give away much besides the premise of It's his number one fan that is healing him, but then she turns malevolent. Yeah. And if people know Misery, they know that the ankle scene is coming, which they hint to in the trailer as well. But I don't necessarily know if people knew about Misery in 1990. 
Well, that depends. It came, the book came out three years earlier. Yeah, and uh, The Shining came out before this, so people probably did... Stephen King is big at this point. Yeah, yeah. They probably did that thing where it was like, oh man, I love The Shining. I can't get enough of Stephen King. I'm going to go read all of his other books. Yeah. Man, this misery should sure turn into a movie at some point. <laughs> I haven't read Misery. I've read a few of um, Stephen King, but I haven't read Misery. Is he good? He's okay. I don't love... This is hot take. Please, <laughs> horror community, do not shun me. It's okay. It's definitely of its time writing. Not like jokes are bad or whatever, or like racist. But, well, also that. And yeah. he's very sexist. But <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, it just, it's kind of like a dry writing. It's very like explanation of facts that are happening. Hmm. I find it's hard to get like lost in the world. But I did enjoy a few of the books. Like Carrie, I remember really liking that book. I feel like a lot of them are shorter, so that might be easier to read. Like a <laughs> lot, I've seen a lot of Stephen King novels that are just like paperback, tiny little books. That, yeah. But uh, I always wanted to read The Dark Tower. That's huge, that series. Well, yeah, but I wanted, I'm like more interested in how the rest of the Stephen King universe fits together mm. because apparently Annie Wilkes is referenced in The Dark Tower at one point. Oh. Um, it like talks more about like the deadlights and the the space turtle and, and all yeah. that. So, I mean, that, that to me just seems really interesting because I like multiverses, but I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't know if his writing is worth reading. I think you should definitely look if you're interested in that one, then read it. I had I enjoyed it's hit and miss for me, okay. but it's still I I also like enjoy it because I love horror. So it's nice to like be able to discuss things that I've read of like famous horror archetypes. That's fair. Plus, you're not a real horror fan if you don't read Stephen King. You're yeah. just a fake horror girl. Just r tell me all of his novels. The Dark Tower. <laughs> Misery. <laughs> Carrie. The one with the car. Christine? <laughs> Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> I don't know if Maximum Overdrive was a book. I don't know. I'm not even too sure. Cujo. Cujo. I haven't it, read that. It. I don't want to read that either. Oh, no, God. I feel like that. That one probably didn't age too well. But Misery. What did you think about it? So my first point is that watching this again, there's something oddly timeless about the movie. Like, I don't know if it's the setting or just the the view into the world that we get, but there's something about it that doesn't seem to age as much as a lot of movies from the 90s would. Yeah. Um, I, maybe it's also like because her character is so like, even when it came out in 1990, she was like from the past, like, oh, cock-a-doodle. Yeah, she's so old fashioned and How stuff like that. How dare you? Because <laughs> like the movie's 30 years old. But, like, the technology and the setting and stuff still feel plausible. Yeah. Uh, like, an author using a typewriter, I guarantee that there's still authors that are, like, there are probably authors that didn't grow up in a time where typewriters were a thing. And they still use it yeah. now. Yeah, like, some 20-year-old author is like, I need to write on a typewriter or I'm not a real author. Yep. Um, Even if it's missing an N. Exactly. Which I don't have as the fun facts, but Stephen King had a typewriter that had a broken N. I think I was, I remember reading about that. It well, also had a broken T and E, I think. Uh, Oof. Not his, but in the novel, I think Paul Sheldon's also had a missing T and E, which wow. made his job much harder because there's so, so common letters. Yeah, that's awful. Um, but like even that town, like the 
older vehicles like the town we live in is small town and they have old vehicles like that yep and even like a sheriff like that who was of that age but now would probably still go look for newspapers rather than looking up things online so it's like just watching this movie it doesn't have that like stinky feeling of watching like a modern 90s movie yeah and again like i said when you were asking me about his writing in the past there isn't any awful well i guess it was more 2000s when people would like say the r word all the time or like that it's definitely not a comedy either which i feel like horror comedies is when we delve into that sort of awkward 90s 2000s-ness i mean they're not allowed to do profanity because paul sheldon is supposed to be an upstanding lovely gentleman yeah um, but even like the the one thing I thought of is that like he would have a cell phone now, but even then it's like, well, he was went into a cabin to isolate himself. So maybe he didn't bring a cell phone cause he didn't want the pings. And even if he did, it could have been lost in the car yeah. crash or damaged or she took it. Yeah. And then the sheriff wouldn't have a cell phone because again, he probably would like to have more of that like physical tactical feeling of doing investigations uh and then annie's just old-fashioned so i don't know maybe she wouldn't have one either yeah we still have a rotary phone in my home in montreal we have like cordless phones too but there's a rotary phone by the computer and a landline yep i call my when i call my parents hi mom and dad i always call my home number weird yeah yeah i don't even think my mom has a landline i don't think so either that's one of those things where it's like, don't pay for cable and don't pay for landline anymore. <laughs> um, my second thought is that there's something very like wealth, like the pacing, I guess. But the the flowing of Paul Sheldon's like recovery time mm-hmm. adds this like really interesting like roller coaster for the viewers of like his immobility, I guess. Okay, yeah. I know that's like that is the that is the sloppiest way I've described a thought in the past. But like um his like incapacitatedness, sure. Um goes through like this timeline basically. So and then initially he's like completely injured. He can't move. Like almost paralyzed yeah, basically. Almost in a coma, which makes him like incredibly vulnerable and like any scene with him and uh Annie is like entirely she's the powerhouse of that scene because yeah. he can't do anything. Uh, he's got no possibilities and is completely at her whims. Then he like slowly recovers and we get this feeling of like, Oh, he might be able to escape soon. Like we're getting there. He's, he's building up and then he gets re injured, which is like this moment of dread and like this shocking failure of like, now he's never going to get out. Oh God, we have to talk about that. That's not one of my points, but do you want to talk about that now? About the, in- the, the infamous hobbling scene. Yes. Um, a bit. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) leading up to the actual action of it is so stressful because you can imagine that it's coming up. Yeah. And the conversation that they're having, you can see the dread in his eyes and like the horror as he realizes what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it's so in your face when it happens, like you're hoping that it'll cut away. The first time I watched misery, uh, later earlier this year, I think, uh, I didn't watch that scene. I closed my eyes when oh. it happened. This time, I did watch it. And thankfully, they cut away for the second angle <laughs> because, oh, God. I have, like, a weird, like, I don't know, mental tick where I'm like, somebody worked hard to make this look this way. 
I need to appreciate that and look at it even if I hate it. That's respect. That's not a weird <laughs> mental tick. That's a good thing. And I do sort of feel that way too, but I just couldn't do it. It's like somebody worked on this dance number and I can't I just looked away while it was happening. <laughs> oh um, man, but yeah, the you're right about this like as you said, roller coaster of his healing journey yeah. and how that affects the power dynamics and every time he's almost at the top she just smacks him back down, either physically or through some other means. Yeah, like like when the sheriff comes and it, and is about to save him, like you think in your mind, you're like, the movie can't be over yet. We're not there, but maybe. And then he dies, and you're like, oh man. Oof. And then his recovery still hasn't gone that far after getting hobbled in the final scene. Yeah. So there's like a very intense, like suspenseful struggle, as you know that he's still not at full capacity. Even I thought it was an interesting touch that she when she decides to let him come up the stairs, she just like puts his wheelchair there and says like, OK, I'm going to do yeah. something else like you have to climb up the stairs come past this dead body when you have no ankles. Yeah. <laughs> Worse than that, like somebody with no ankles who's fully healed and doesn't feel the pain of every single bump his one thing but like just floppy ankles hitting the stairs as he goes up yeah Yeah. i mean that's the point when she's like i we have to die it'll be more poetic that way and he's like let me finish the book and she's like fine i guess whatever (laughs) jeez jeez um no I, i not another wait another fun fact that i'm not including because i tried to not include a lot of like facts about the novel because we're talking about the movie okay but apparently in the novel, the original story was supposed to end with her wanting, or not end, but her intentions in the novel were originally going to be that she was going to feed him to misery, the pig, and use his skin to bind the book that uh, he wrote. Whoa! Yeah, but then it's not—that's not even the plot in the book anymore. But that's me- that's pretty. Do you mean cool. in the movie anymore? No, in the book. Like this oh, was originally the plot see, of the book. I see, I see, I see, I see. And then he decided to change it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still, I could kind of see that. Yeah. Creepy. Because then it's like, and the book was going to be named like Annie Wilkes uh, Volume 1 or something like that, <gasps> rather than Misery Returns. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's, I just thought that <laughs> that's was, it. I thought that was cool. <laughs> it is cool. It seems very um, Chuck, uh, someone's going to hate me out there because I always pronounce this name different. Uh Chuck Polniak? Sure. Chuck Polniak? I don't know. Um, that seems more like his vibe than a Stephen King vibe. But again, I've never read Stephen King. Oh, so I yes. Know. I didn't even realize who you're referencing. The one that makes the writer that makes people vomit. Yeah. When he wrote Haunted. And like pass out. Yeah. 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 Or, uh, but yeah, he wrote like Fight Club and Chuck. And yeah, he's the horror writer, I guess. Thriller writer that I uh, read the most. Yeah. I think of any author. Chuck Polniak. Polniak. It's like how people say Hermione. Hermione, yeah. For Hermione when you were reading it, because you don't know how to say it. Yeah, I don't even think I've heard him say his own name before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was my favorite author gro- growing up, I guess. I tried to get your mom to read Haunted once, so I thought it would be funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first passage is Guts, so she would have to get past Guy getting his butt ripped out by a pool uh, vent. Oof. That, that book's great. I love it. I mean, my mom is a very avid reader, and if you give her a recommendation, she will read it, regardless of what it is. But I like it. I don't know <laughs> if she would like it. Still. Um, 
my final little talking point is that her advice on bringing misery back is pretty solid, actually. Yeah. I also had that thought while we were watching. Like, he he was just going to have her, like, magically reappear because there was a doctor on the scene, but there wasn't a doctor on the scene in the last book. So how did this happen? Yeah, how did this happen, Paul? Which I think is because he doesn't give a fuck. He's just writing this to please leave me alone and let me out of here. But Uh, uh, there is an element of, like, truth in what she's saying, which is bad and, uh, like... That doesn't redeem her at all, but also, like, she's got some solid points. Yeah. If you're going to write something, do it right. And then when he wrote it, his, like, his reasoning about why she was still alive was solid as hell. And Uh, it was good foreshadowing because it showed how much she remembered and retained of past books that had loose ends and how he used those loose ends. Yeah. Which then, when, at the final scene, when he's holding the lit... A piece of like final chapter that has all the answers that you need to know. I'm gonna burn it alive right we'll now. We'll find out who her dad is and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, was cool. I thought that was great. In the book, he pretends to burn it or like threatens to burn it and then kills her and then pub- still publishes the book. Um, she'll never get to read it. Yeah, man, that's the ultimate revenge. I like that. <laughs> but uh, in the movie, they wanted to make it so that he like really is done with that to really show how much she's moved on. Yeah. That's also fair. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. We want you, yes you, to fill out our audience feedback survey. Visit drinkingandscreaming.com slash survey to fill out a short survey to help make drinking and screaming even survey better next survey season. (laughs) The direct survey link is also in today's survey show notes and posted on our survey all over our social media survey. 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 This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by Evil Amy's Terror Shop, who provided us with some amazing goodies to talk about on our episodes. One film that I wanted to do this season, but it didn't get voted on, was Corpse Bride. And we received a Funko Pop figure of Victor and his dog Scraps. It was like a, it's a skeleton (laughs) dog. And it's so cute. I love them. I have not seen that movie yet, so people need to get us to watch that movie. (laughs) We're also sponsored by Liz's Horror Candles, who have a new Christmas scent called Sleigh Ride. <laughs> spelt Slay, as in Kill. Slay. <laughs> Go to horrorcandles.com and use code DRINKSCREAM10 for 10% off your first purchase of three or more of Liz's Horror Candle Co.'s candles. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drink and scream, and you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. Do that if you want us to have uh, your synopsis featured in an episode and uh, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash drink and scream. It's time to get back to the cock duty episode. <laughs> that was the ankle. Oh, Paul. I love you. All right. Are you ready for the real deal? <laughs> question mark question <laughs> I'm still not. i still not really behind on this this segment title. It's too late. I already made the sounds of the movie reel. <laughs> if somebody comes up with a better one or can pitch to me why the real deal is good beyond Char and my mom, then <laughs> I will be okay with it. In the audience feedback survey, the link is in the show notes. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll keep 
delivering the title very poorly. No, you have to commit. You, you know what? Yeah, no, I don't. I'm not going to commit until somebody <laughs> proves me wrong. <laughs> Prove me wrong, you cowards. All right. Anyways, this is my mom's review. Uh, for those of you who don't know about the segment, my mom thinks we lie on this show. Uh, we don't talk about how scary the movie is, and we're just bold-faced liars and talk about feminism and queerness, queerness <laughs> and not how terrifying the demons are and stuff. So my, my favorite quote that she always says is, go women. Yeah. That's what our show is. <laughs> <laughs> Usually as we're watching somebody like be massacred or like a de- a horrifying demon is skittering across the ceiling, she's like, you guys are just going to talk about go women. <laughs> Anyways, this is her review for Misery. All right, I'm excited. Having first watched this movie back in the early 90s, I revisited it with the kids this Christmas, and I had no cock-a-duty idea that it was going, <laughs> that it was about a pig this whole time. Misery is horrifying without the need of jump scares, possessed kids, or creepy crawly people on the walls. Hey, that's what I said. Yeah. And thanks, Kathy Bates. Wait, thank all thanks. Wait, all thanks, Kathy Bates' amazing performance. Mom, you did a type. You did a typo, Mom. All thanks to Kathy Bates' amazing performance. This yes. movie was suspenseful and thrilling and suspensefully thrilling. I give Misery four <laughs> dirty birdies out of five. Only four dirty birdies? Why did you take one away? I don't know. Also, I think it might have been she might have been rating things ten at some point, so I like the inconsistency of her reviews. <laughs> But it leads very well into one of my points, which is about uh, the great female villain, go women, (laughs) Kathy Bates. (laughs) Holy cow. Um, She does an amazing job in this role of Annie Wilkes. I thought that um, how she was able to jump back and forth from sweet sincerity to wild rage in an instant, like on the dime, back and forth was so odd but she did it so believably Mm -hmm. um and in general this whole film watching it which is why i'm complaining about your mom docking (laughs) one point was that i never was thrown off about what was happening on screen i was totally immersed and the characters their relationships were so believable but i think that kathy bates is the one that really pulled the weight of this film because she Definitely was doing all the work. It's kind of easy to lie in a bed and just be like (laughs) dumbfounded by the situation in front of you. Uh, Reactionary, I think, is what a lot of actors called that. uh, The role that uh, James Caan did. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And even then, like Kathy Bates, I know, is a theatrical performer and she was giving her fucking all in every fucking scene. And I was like, yeah, bitch, go. I love Kathy Bates. Mostly I think of her in Titanic. I think of her as Joe in uh, The oh, Office. Yeah, the Office, totally, which is so weird. All three of those characters are so different. Oh, man. But she carried this film. It was great. Not that anyone else did a bad job. James Can did great. The sheriff. I have a whole point about the sheriff and oh. deputy. But yeah, I really loved Kathy Bates in this film. And you don't really get to see female horror villains that frequently. Like the big one you would say is like um, Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. But then otherwise, it's always women that are being possessed by male demons or like. Or it's female demons. demons. There's like the the ring and stuff like that. There's never like human females that are not dead. Um, and it kind of goes with, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Uh oh, well we have like Nurse Ratchet now. Yeah. He's kind of like a anti-hero, less less than a villain. Yeah. But uh yeah, there's more like modern ones now. Hereditary, other but Again, that's demons. Yeah, she's she's possessed. Yeah, you're right. There are very few human women villains. Yeah. They <laughs> always are the ones that get taken Yzma. over by <laughs> Yzma from the Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Man, go women. Go Yzma. <laughs> 101 Dalmatians. A lot of cartoons have evil, normal human women. But yeah, I just, I loved, I loved uh, Kathy Bates' performance in this film. She was the first woman to win a horror movie award. <laughs> what? That wasn't, I didn't have that as a fact either. But uh, yeah, she was the first woman to win an award for a horror movie. What, what did she win? Best Actress? I think so. Okay, we got to look this up right now because we got to include that. Holy shit. Academy Award. Yeah. For best actress in a leading role and Golden Globe. Fuck. Yeah. That's awesome. She I mean, this was like she was relatively unknown before this movie, and this was a huge breaking point for her. Yeah. We talk um, about this in I can't remember what episode it was, but we've talked about it this season, how horror generally gets like overlooked in the Academy Awards. Yeah, definitely. And um, that's so great. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, this was like a big thing. Like people saw how awesome she was from this movie. Yeah. My next point is a throwaway point, oh. but I have to say it because the pig is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Misery the pig. And what was amazing was in the credits, she was featured <laughs> And she, her name was literally Misery. Yeah. It said Misery the pig as herself. I feel like what happened is that somebody read Misery, had a pig, named the pig Misery, and then the movie department was like, wait, there's a pig named Misery? We need to hire that pig as the pig Misery in Misery. It's a dream come true. Yeah, the role oh, they were man. meant to play. I loved it. And that pig was cute. People, I have a an acquaintance that has a pet pig. Yeah. And um, they are adorable. People now get like hoodwinked for teacup pigs. Oh, yeah. It's just, just a baby. Piglets. And then they grow to be full fucking pigs. But pigs are basically dogs. Yeah. And they're just so cute. And every time Misery was on screen, I had a huge smile on my face. And if you starve a pig for too long, they'll eat a human for you. <laughs> like in the original script of this or uh, manuscript of this novel. Or like in uh, Snatch. Sure. Where the guy gives a whole speech about how pigs will eat anything if you starve them long enough. That's so sad. I mean, anyone would eat anything. My <laughs> uh, next point is about the sheriff and his deputy. Yeah. I thought that their relationship was really cool because it has what we call out on the show all the time, that like awkward hetero uh, like, joke. Yeah. Oh, that dang wife. She's holding me back. Yeah. Oh, ball and chain. La, la, la. Sure hate you. Wish <laughs> I didn't marry you. <laughs> Don't love you. <laughs> but this was, it took that and flipped it on its head because they were like sarcastically acting that way towards each other. But it was in such a way that you knew that they were so in love and yeah. happy, which makes it so sad that he died. Yeah. I just thought of his wife and, and, uh, they're living in a small town. Getting a phone call was a big deal at the start of the movie, and now he's dead. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. They kind of reminded me of Twin Peaks for some reason, and I can't oh. fully explain it, but the way that they talked to each other and their sort of like attitude felt very Twin Peaks. 
Okay. Uh, especially the scene where they're sitting in bed and he's reading the misery books. Because uh, he starts really getting into them. Yeah. And I don't know. It was just some, something about that. Like this weird sheriff, the weird local sheriff guy felt very Twin Peaks. My main thing that I wanted to say about this, though, was that she was horny as fuck. And that was great to see, especially because she's older. Yeah. But women in general on screen in relationships have to be the one that are like being chased, not mm-hmm. the chaser. Uh, and oh, I already... thought you meant chased as in like. Oh, also that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> being the virgin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was great at her job. She loved her husband. And when they were out working together, she also wanted to, you know, Play with his jingly bits on the drive. Yeah. And I thought that that was really cool because you never get to see women be sexual in that way, being the chaser. And especially that she was an older woman Mm -hmm. that got to do that. I thought was awesome. Which makes it all the more sad when the phone call comes in. Yeah. But uh, then she can hear Paul talk about how much of a hero he was. (laughs) And then my last point, we kind of already touched on it, which is the pacing and tension in this film, which I agree was done super, super well. And you mostly talked about like the arc of his injuries and how that related to power dynamics. Yes. But what I wanted to touch on was how your old mom also brought this up about how there wasn't a lot of scares. No. But it was still this sense of dread and tension that came throughout the whole movie. And I think that the music had a bit to do with it, but mostly it was the cinematography storytelling that was happening. Ooh, this sounds like a Kelly point. I know! (laughs) Usually you're the cinematography person. But um, the, like, sense of dread and suspense whenever Paul leaves his room, Mm -hmm. I thought was super well done. And it's, we're really on this journey with him we we don't get to know any information until he as a character finds it out. Yeah, she kind of just like shows up in places and she, which makes you feel like she could show up at any point. Yeah. And it was just really well done. I loved that and I thought that like it was a nice touch to be on that journey and also how when he first leaves his room he moves the penguin. Yeah. But then we don't she doesn't confront him about it until like the very until he's moved again. And yeah. then she's like, I'm going to break your ankles. Oh, man. Because as the viewer, you're like, no, you fucked it up, you idiot. But then it never comes up again. And you're like, oh, maybe she didn't notice, notice? I guess. Yeah. But how could she not notice? She's such a perfectionist. My my penguins always pointed due south <laughs> toward the ocean. I think she says. Sure. Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, I totally agree. And it's hard to make you feel I mean, for me, at least, it's hard to make me feel suspenseful for like humans, but him being so vulnerable and her like basically knowing how to fuck with him. uh, Just the idea of her like showing up and seeing him in like a compromised position is so dreadful. Yeah, he's again, like, I'm glad that you brought that up. Like his legs, for those of you who haven't seen it, are completely devastated even before she hobbles him from the crash. It's awful. Uh, completely mangled and like unusable, unusable, whatever. Post post usable. (laughs) So, but we see him like have to struggle to get in the chair from the bed, like moving his legs, and he keeps fucking dropping them. Yeah, (laughs) and it's you've brought this up a few times about how humans 
no certain pain. Oh, yeah, the, like, uh, small pains. Yeah, and this, everyone's, like, rolled their ankle before. Yeah. But just imagine that, like, a million times worse. So it's it's very... Or anyone that's broken their legs or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah! And that's my last point. Nice. Are you ready for... Do you want to read this one? Sure. I was actually very surprised that we got another review in before our end of season, um, season three. So thank you very much to Kelly in Illinois, who wrote hilarious five stars. I love this podcast for hilarious horror movie reviews. I've never found a more enjoyable movie review podcast, and I'm so a fan of horror. Thank you. That's pretty fucking awesome. Even though they cut up movies I like, <laughs> I still laugh. <laughs> I heard this podcast advertised on Three Spooked Girls. We love them. And I'm so glad I did. Love the drinks, too. May give me some great ideas. Kelly in Illinois. Yay! Woo-hoo! Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Two I, Kellys. Oh, what a great boy. name you have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you enjoy the movie, the episodes where we shit on the movies that you love. Yeah, sometimes we go too far, but whatever. We gotta, we gotta. Uh, if you want us to read your reviews next season, give us a review or send us an email at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. Yeah, buddy. Uh, but reviews help more with the SEO, so do that and we will be more appreciative. Tag us on social media. Anyone that tags us at drink underscore scream, I will read your tweets. If your uncle or aunt or whatever grandma is an actor <laughs> tell them about us and they then tell them to come on <laughs> oh my god is that a book bound with paul sheldon's skin oh god oh thank god no it's just the Reconomicon! i feel like i haven't done a scream for that yet no probably not <laughs> I didn't actually think of that connection with the, the bound book until I got there. So I'm glad that the whole narrative worked out <laughs> with itself. My recommendation is it. What is it? It's it. Ah. Yeah, yeah. No. The miniseries? Uh, yeah, from 1990. It's not very good uh, and isn't scary, <laughs> but it's Stephen King and it has uh, Tim Curry. So it's sort of worth watching. <clears throat> if you've never seen it, just check it out. It's like eight hours, I think. I don't remember. Watch it in a few sittings. <laughs> That's it. That was the most lackluster recommendation it's ever. It's not great. I haven't seen it, but it's something that I would like to watch just as one of those ticks on my horror knowledge. And that's literally why I'm recommending it. Yeah. It's it. What from 1990. <laughs> my recommendation is Fatal Attraction from 1987, which is a psychological thriller that features another brutal female villain. I like the remake as well, which has Beyonce nice. and it's called Obsessed. But the original has more of a misery similarity because it's close to the timeline. Um, and it has that timeless uh, story appeal that you were saying, Kelly. Mm. So that's Fatal Attraction from 1987. I think I always mix up Fatal Attraction with the movie where like the famous uh, GIF or video at the time with the woman that like uncrosses her legs and then recrosses them. I don't remember what movie that's from. That might be Fatal Attraction. Uh, maybe. Probably. Isn't that the one where she th- Yeah, they thought she thought that- they were going to blur it out, but they didn't. Yeah, fuck that. Oh, God. Let's have a more fun time with some... Scaredy facts. 
It's our last scaredy fact. It's our last scaredy fact of season Ever. three. Yeah, we're cutting this <laughs> segment, the segment that's been around for three seasons. For those of you who don't know, this segment is where we introduce you into our relationship. Hello. Where every time we watch a horror movie and we get so spooked that we just can't live anymore, <laughs> we go on to IMDb or other trivia fact websites and look up some trivia to desensitize us because it's just people and masks or Kathy Bates getting into a role. Yeah, it's all all behind a camera. So I did the fact for this episode. Yes, you did. Starting with the budget, which was an estimated $20 million. It's a lot for what was mostly filmed in one room. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of driving around and helicopter. That's true. It was all that helicopter. Yeah. Their opening weekend was a pittance of $10.1 million. That's a pretty good opening. But they did not make a, bud a profit until their gross USA of $61 million, Nice. Which I know for a fact this also is in a lot of other countries because the IMDb has a bunch of the cover art. Yeah, the I always do the budget part and the cumulative worldwide gross was the same as the U.S. gross. So I was like, that's not right. And I just yeah, took it off. That, I don't know what the worldwide gross is, but still. It's broken. I don't know what's going on with that site. Yeah, some of those covers are dope, though. Yeah? Yeah, they're really cool. Nice. A lot of them are like hand-painted, um, which are always my favorite. So my first fact is that the novel actually has Annie chop off Paul's foot and cauterize the stump. But they opted to simply hobble him instead by having her break his foot with a sledgehammer. So there's a couple, quote unquote, reasonings behind this that are uh, contradictory. So I'm going to read you one and then I'll tell you what the other one is. Okay. So their thinking is that they wanted him to be victorious in the end and losing his uh, feet would be too high of a price. Quote, it was pretty darn painful to look at, so I don't think we compromised it too much. But another trivia fact says that they cut it they cut that scene because uh, they didn't want too much gore. Uh, okay. So yeah. maybe it's a little A, little B. To have like a lower rating. Or if they just didn't want like, it makes it feel more realistic if it's not so gory, I guess. Yeah. Like thinking about breaking your foot is so much closer to a pain that you can recognize than... Having it cut off. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting though, because I feel like having the broken ankles makes it more hard to move around. Yeah, exactly. Whereas having a sawed off stump that has been cauterized and is bandaged would sort of be easier. Like you'd be more likely to be able to escape. Um, I don't know. Yeah, so they were going for one that was like, I don't know, more hard to look at. Yeah. Or hard to do. I Without being too gory for the ratings. That makes sense. Yeah. After seeing the notorious scene where his character gets his ankles broken at a screening, James Caan turned to Rob Reiner and said, you sick fuck. <laughs> There's also a fact about in a screening, Stephen King, during the final uh, confrontation, yelled out, she's got a gun. <laughs> Come on, Stephen King. I mean, if you get so caught up in it, that, like when when she pulls out the gun, like, I don't know. I think that's kind of cute. That he got so into it. Uh, James Conn's fake legs. James Conn's fake legs were molded out of gelatin. Armatures oh. with wire were inserted into the prosthetic ankles, so that after Annie hit them the sledge with the sledgehammer, they would bend at the desired gruesome angle. Uh, there were little holes so that Conn could slip his real legs up to the knee. Boy. So when you see it like floppily, yeah, it's gelatin. That's cool. Yeah, they did look real. And it was awful to see the sledgehammer <laughs> hit them. 
Um, there's like 80 fucking facts about men that were potential uh, roles for Paul. So many so that I was like writing it out and I was like, no, just basically every man in Hollywood was offered this role and they ended <laughs> up with James Caan, you lucky guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently few roles or a uh, few actors actually wanted the role because Annie Wilkes like overshadowed them so much as a character. God. Uh, Warren Beatty commented before declining that the hobbling scene made Paul Sheldon a loser for the rest of the film. Goldman was determined to keep the scene in the film as it was his favorite from the novel. You can't have misery without that. No, but yeah, it seems like a lot of male actors in were Hollywood. Were fragile masculine? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were like, I can't have a female actor outshine me. God. Uh, wow, I'm so glad you included that fact. Yeah. Fuck all of you. <laughs> and then there's a lot of people that like now regret declining. And But then the director's also like, can you even imagine this movie without James Caan? No, you can't. Yeah, he did and such he, a good role. It was a great like two-hander. Obviously, Kathy Bates has the leading role, but it was still awesome. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, you're an actor. Fucking suck it up and play the role, you baby. Yeah. Uh, you cool baby. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently season two of Castle Rock uh, serves as a prequel to Misery and Annie Wilkes's story. I've never seen Castle Rock, nor do I actually know what it is, but that seems interesting to anybody that is interested in watching yeah. a prequel to Misery. I haven't seen that either, but I'll look into it now. In the movie, Annie forces Paul to burn his manuscript, which is untitled, yep. as seen in the close-up. In the novel, Paul titles it Fast Cars, and it is a story reminiscent of 1950s detective dramas and 180 degrees away from the Victorian era set misery novels that made him famous. The profanity in both versions is still what drives Annie to hate it and force Paul to burn it. Huh. Yeah. Fast cars. Fast cars. I sort of like that it was untitled. Yeah. He couldn't. He didn't know. And then he even said, like, maybe you could name it. Like, whatever. Oh, like I could come up with something like that. <laughs> but I do like the idea that in the movie, he's like so fresh to a new idea that he can't even think of a title. Yeah. Uh, did you know that there was a Misery Broadway show? What? I believe it started in 2015 and ended in 2016. And it stars uh, Bruce Willis and Laurie Ke Metcalf. It starred Bruce Willis. Wow. And Laurie Metcalf. That's yeah. awesome. Bruce Willis was actually one of the original actors considered for the role of Paul okay. in the 90s. Um, apparently, it's not great. And Aww. that's why it got canceled. After a year. Yeah. Uh, the direction was not very good. And Bruce Willis couldn't get rid of his like smug, cool guy demeanor <sighs> until the scene where he gets his legs hobbled. In yeah. Which, like, yeah. I read a really scathing review of it. Fuck. Wow. Uh, this is my final one until our special meta segments. Ooh. James Kahn and Kathy Bates clashed over their acting methods. Kahn uh, believed in as little rehearsal as possible. Bates, with her theater background, was used to practicing a lot. When she commented to Rob Reiner that Kahn was not uh, attempting to relate or listen to her, Reiner told her to use that frustration towards her character. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's kind of what I was saying before. Like she fucking <laughs> carried those scenes. Um, Apparently yeah. they compromised where she, the, the director was like, we need to make both of them unhappy. She will rehearse less than she's used to. And he will be forced to rehearse more than he's happy with. Okay. Um, so they met in the middle. Neither of them was too happy about it. <laughs> but I mean, like, 
we listened or we read a lot of the shining background stories of like uh Kubrick's directorial styles of like I'm going to torture my actors until I can get what yeah, I want out of them. That's not good. <laughs> uh, reading Rob Reiner's stuff, it just seems like he was a normal ass director who did normal things. Good. And then got a really good movie out of it. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like literally um, uh, Jack Nicholson didn't want to do another Stephen King movie because of ex- his experiences with Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, he refused the role of Paul in this because of his uh, experience. Wow. Yep. All right. Carfax. Yay! <laughs> Paul Sheldon drives a dark blue 65 Mustang. Oh. The sheriff's car is a 1972 Chevrolet Blazer. I'm sorry, Chevy Blazer <laughs> with double bladed uh, windshield wipers. Amy Wilkes' car is a burgundy four-wheel drive Jeep Cherokee from the 1960s. Whoa, there seems to be way more car facts on here than what was probably <laughs> on the IMDb. Kelly, how did you get those? <laughs> uh, while we were watching Misery with my parents, Char kept turning to my stepdad, Gary, and was like, what car is that? What car is that? What car is that? Uh, yeah, because I think only Annie's car was listed in the trivia facts. Nice. But uh, yeah, when when the Mustang showed up, my parents were like, well, that's why he crashed. He was driving a Mustang. (laughs) (laughs) Bang, bang, bang. (laughs) Gun facts. I like it. (laughs) Annie's gun is a Colt Cobra D frame revolver. Oh, my. Uh, Sheriff Buster has a four inch barreled. Smith and Wesson, which he's a cop. Of course he did. He's a sheriff cop. Of course yeah. it's Smith and Wesson. Of, of course. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and Annie's shotgun is just a 12 gauge double barrel shotgun. Nice. I would have thought that like <laughs> there was a brand, but I guess it's just shotgun brand shotgun. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but that means it's the end. Time for final thoughts. Final thoughts. I'm glad that we're watching this, even though it's not technically like a holiday movie. It's just a winter. It's winter. It's winter. We're kind of stuck in that point between uh, two major holidays that we celebrate. So <laughs> winter holiday it is or winter movie it is. Yeah. Um, and it does. It definitely has like the, the cold creeping vibe of like uh, the shining uh, without yeah. actually being the like isolation feeling of the snow. But it is still, it's snowy basically the entire film. It's like just on the verge of spring when the film ends. Yeah, but the snow's only like a plot point for a, His a little bit. His car being covered. Yeah. yeah, that's my final thought. Nice. Mine, I was trying to think of one and I'm just like, I have nothing bad to say about this movie. Which again, Colleen, why did you give it four out of five? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, this movie was great. I have nothing bad to say. And I'm glad that we had it voted on our Patreon for our season finale. Yeah. Well, that's been Misery, a movie about extreme writer's block because of the blocks between his legs. Oh, God. (laughs) We'll be back with season four of Drinking and Screaming in mid to late February. In the meantime, you can always listen back to some older episodes and fill out our audience feedback survey. The link is in the show notes, please. And remember, always scream responsibly. 
Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and local designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 